was certainly approaching it as oh, this is the same thing. I'm a founder, therefore I'm a CEO. Well, hmm, hmm. <laughs> are you right? Like there's there's a there's a mindset shift that goes into that, and and I, I think that that's a that's an important kind of distinction to be able to draw. You're listening to Founded and Grounded with Ollie Collard and Laura Rawlings. The podcast brings you the honest realities of startup life. If you're a founder or aspiring entrepreneur, this is for you. We know running a business can be lonely and tough at times, and we want to help you get ahead with simple tips and sound advice. Every fortnight, we hear inspiring stories from an early stage business owner who's only a couple of steps ahead of you, talking about what they've learned. And as your hosts, we share our own insights and experiences as founders, so you can apply this to your own business. Hello and welcome to the Founded and Grounded podcast. Hope everything's good with you. My name's Laura Rawlings and I'm hosting the podcast alongside Ollie Collard, who's our business startup coach. Hi, Ollie. Good afternoon, Laura. How are you doing? I'm all right, thank you. Very pleased that since we last spoke, we've survived Blue Monday. And as you observed, we are nearly at the end of dry January, if you're mad enough to sign up for that. Yeah, only another week or so to go. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) We can do this. We can get to the end of it. Um, In terms of who we've got today, we've got someone who has been brilliant because they started off as a listener to this podcast and have now ended up as one of our sponsors, which is fabulous. So can you introduce who we're going to hear from, Molly? Sure can. So uh, it's a lovely chap called Steve Mason, who is founder of a company called Nova Blue. And yeah, it's really great to have him on board and also learning a bit more about cybersecurity today. Yes. And in particular, his background, which I know was tricky to tease out some information from him. So um, Steve previously worked for GCHQ in Cheltenham. Um, so has a background in national security. And Ollie, your first task was to try and see what you could extract from him about that time. Good morning, Steve, and welcome to the Founded and Grounded show. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on. Good morning. Yeah, the, the pleasure's all mine. Thanks for having me. Awesome, Steve. And I must say, you were actually a listener. I was just looking for a, a good... Uh, kind of startup podcast, but here in the UK, like a lot of startup podcasts tend to be focused in the States. Uh, I wanted something that was focused here in the UK. So yeah, found yours and I'm glad I did. Before we dive into your business, I'll be really keen to know a bit about your background. So I know you were the technical director at GCHQ. Yeah. So I was wondering, can you shed any light on actually what you did in that role? <laughs> well, well, a little bit uh, without getting into too much detail. So so yeah, I mean, I started my career um, in government. I started working in uh, for the government of Canada and was sent across to the UK back in 2004, kind of been here ever since. Um, and uh, yeah, it was uh, m- the entirety of my career was focused on cyber and kind of digital um, and uh, worked my way through uh, kind of different roles in predominantly in national security, as you say, working at an organization called GCHQ, uh, which is uh, has two has two main remits. One is signals intelligence, so it does it does um, intelligence operations in support of uh, UK foreign policy outcomes. Uh, but also, um, I spent some time uh, on the defensive cyber side. So GCHQ has a subordinate organization called CESG. Well, at the time, it was called CESG, what's now called the National Cybersecurity Center. 
and I did some time working there as well. So uh, I did. I was I was the technical director for cyber for uh, GCHQ before I. Uh, left back in 2015, uh, and yeah, it was it was a well, it was a great place to work. Awesome, you know, people. The mission, the job is so important, and uh, you know, really compelling. So, so it was a great place for me to kind of earn my stripes before I I left and and went out to the to the nasty old world of industry. <laughs> Good stuff, Steve. Um, so, I was wondering if you tell our listeners a bit more about what Nova Blue does, and fundamentally, what problem you're solving. Sure, yeah. So uh, I always start this um, by by talking a little bit about um, why Nova Blue is. Um, and, and that is to say that Nova Blue is a, a values-led organization. Um, and what that means is one of the, the fundamental things that I learned about working in government is the, this this um, kind of attachment to something that's greater than a paycheck, right? You're doing something meaningful, and you're and you're you're looking to help the society that you're in, the people that are in that society, etc. And so, when I left and went to industry, and I'm not casting aspersions on the organizations that I worked for, um, but what I found was that those organizations were fantastic at printing values and sticking them on a wall somewhere. Um, but when the rubber met the road, when the brown stuff is hitting the proverbial spinny thing, um, then then the values go at the door, right? And it's a focus on shareholder value and how do we how do we increase wealth for the shareholders and how do we get our bonus and, you know, things like this. Um, and so it didn't work for me. Um, and that's not to say that those organizations don't have a place in society. It's just, it didn't resonate for me. So, so that's why I founded Nova Blue. And so Nova Blue is a values-led organization. We have we have our core values and we we live those core values. It just so happens that we happen to know about cybersecurity, right? So so and digital transformation. So so you know, if we were uh, like if we knew about furniture building, the organization would be about furniture building, but it would have the same values, right? Um, and so, uh, yeah, cybersecurity is predominantly what we do. We're, we're helping some organizations with digital transformation as well. So that's basically modernizing their kind of analog workflows into something that's more digital. We have a, a real understanding of cybersecurity, though, and digital security. And so everything we do has this kind of core theme of cybersecurity running through it. And, and that takes shape in lots of different ways. Everything from kind of working with board um, boards uh, and executive teams to help them kind of understand cybersecurity in the organization through to, you know, specifically reviewing the configuration of their Microsoft 365 uh, portal so that they can, tenants, so that they can configure uh, their organization for security for their entire digital estate. And uh, we back that up with a managed service as well. So so we're not the kind that that just writes a report and sends stuff into and says, bye, you know, good luck. We actually stay with our clients and work with them um, through through time to make sure that they're staying secure, not just secure at a snapshot in, in, in time. Awesome, Steve. And that leads nicely onto our next question, actually, which was around how Nova Blue are different to other cybersecurity outfits out there. And just touching upon something you said about the values-driven organization, 
Um, I was actually looking at some of your core values and I, there's some of that I would expect to see like relentless innovation, excellence in everything. But the ones that caught my eye were the status quo is BS and get in the ring. I'd love to understand a bit more about what these values mean in practical uh, yeah. terms. So um, the status quo is BS. I'll use the, uh, the, the polite phrasing that you used. Um, is a is a is a reflection of the fact that like what I think one of the most dangerous statements ever is because we've always done it that way, right? I, I think that that statement in and of itself can be very powerful, but can also be incredibly limiting and and kind of drive towards mediocrity. And and mediocrity is the enemy in 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 my world, right? In business, in my opinion. Mediocrity is the enemy. And so, you know, people and I found this when I was working both in government, although less in government, and and in kind of big industry, uh, which was that, you know, people were blindly following some kind of process when the reality was they they knew there was a better path. And and this was the problem, right? Like I'd meet these people and say, hang on a second here. You're you're incredible. You're really knowledgeable. You're super smart. I know that you know that there's a better way than this. And yet you're not saying anything. And the reason why was because they were in a system that was designed not to find those amazing nuggets and and give them a platform for success and and empower and enable their success it was because they were in a in a system and the, the all the all the rules were coming from somewhere else and they were literally just crank the handle right crank the handle and i uh, yeah i don't like that i don't like that right in 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 my opinion the status quo can be very good for society uh, or for an organization or for, you know, for whatever subset of individuals uh, that you have in a certain place. In my experience, it's more often a limiting factor. And I don't want that to be Nova Blue. I don't want that to be part of our core values. Get in the ring. Uh, that one comes from a poem that I, uh, well, a poem, a uh, um, kind of essay, I suppose, written by Theodore Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt, an American president um, around the beginning of the um, 20th century. Uh, and he wrote about, uh, well, it's, it's, it's basically a poem saying, look, it doesn't matter um, if you fail. It doesn't matter if you get beat down. It doesn't matter if you know, if your face is covered in blood and sweat and, and mud and, you know, none of that matters. All that matters is that you get in the ring and you, and you, and you, you know, you work, you work hard and you, and you try and make something better. And that's the, that's the measure. That's the true measure of the, of a person's character is, is whether or not they're in the ring. There's a, there's a phrase and I'll just, I've got the values up right, right on my other screen right here. Um, but he, he says it at the end, he says, um, and, and apologies for the listeners who uh, aren't necessarily male. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt, <laughs> this is around the beginning of the 20th century, so it's a, there's a lot of he's in here. But uh, if you'll forgive that for a second and extrapolate it to, to modern society, he says, if he fails, he at least uh, fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Right. And so he's very he's very clearly stating 
get in the ring and 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 you know have a go at it, right? And if you fail, don't worry about it. Awesome, Steve. Love it. And taking that analogy a bit further, obviously in the world of business, I imagine you've been punched in the face a few times. <laughs> so how do you defend against the competition? <laughs> it's a, uh, it, you know, as a startup owner, and I'm sure the startup owners that are out there sometimes feels like you're a punching bag. Um, how do you defend against it? I think for me, there's a, there's a, there's a couple of things. The first is one of the things I've learned is, um, don't talk about the product, um, talk about the values and find your tribe, right? Find your people, find the people who that resonates with. I was like, you know, sending out cold emails and, you know, doing all that kind of stuff. And none of it was really working until, I just started saying, here's our manifesto. And I've got our manifesto on our website. It very clearly talks about those values and, and why we're doing what we're doing, not what we're doing, but why we're doing it. And then instantly I started having people coming out and saying, hang on a sec here. Like, we really like that. That sounds like us. Uh, you know, we've got a question about cybersecurity. Can you help us? Right. And so I've found that, you know, it's the, it's the, it's the Simon Sinek kind of start with why thing, right? It's, it's focus on, you know, the, the, the real values of what you're trying to achieve uh, and find people that that resonates with. It's not going to resonate with everybody, but if you find your tribe, everything just becomes a bit easier. Now, don't get me wrong, as a startup, you got to survive until that, until you find that, right? And like some, some of it's luck, right? Some of it's a bit of luck. So the other thing I'd layer on is, um, a phrase that I really like, which is earning the right to progress. Um, and it's really a reflection of, I mean, this, Nova Blue's a, a bootstrapped business, right? We haven't taken any outside investment. We're kind of growing organically. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's, we're having to kind of be very sensible about the, the kind of growth decisions. Um, and so, uh, you know, there's, there's, Sometimes where I think, oh, could this be going a little bit faster? You know, should should we should we go and find some uh, you know an outside stakeholder to um to to pour some money in? The reason we've not up until now is because we're values led, and I and if I were to find in my experience, and again, someone will hopefully hear this and say, yeah, no, you're wrong, Steve, and I and I want to be wrong, but in my experience, I have yet to see an outside investor like a venture capitalist who cares about values over profit, right? Or sharing the wealth. You know, one of the key things that we like doing is, uh, there's a phrase that I really dislike, which is the the employees are there to build the wealth of the shareholders and to build the wealth of the business. And, and my phrase that I like is the wealth of the business is there to build the people, right? That's really what it should be. I have yet to find a venture capitalist who's, who, who necessarily agrees with that. I think there's probably some out there, but I have yet to find them. So, um, so I think a, a, a mix of staying core to your values, staying true to your values uh, and being uh, sensible, being smart and thinking through every key decision is is the stuff that allows you to um to 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 be able to remain and then it's just a matter of resilience and and kind of strength of of character and strength of of you know mental health and you know these types of things that go into keeping you know keep, keeping it so that when you when you are getting punched 
you just keep going. Rocky said it best, right? It's not life's not about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep going, right? And this startup game is is very much that. Excellent, Steve. And talking of that resilience and that grit, I know this actually isn't your first startup. So I just wanted to know what was the biggest takeaway you took from your your first venture? Hmm. So um, there's a couple of things. So uh, yes, this is my second startup. My previous startup, my um, my two co-founders kind of bought me out, and, and it was it was nothing acrimonious or salacious at all. Uh, people look, people always look for the the oh, what's the what's the drama there? There's no drama actually. Just three friends who decided that we were going to go in slightly different paths, uh, and I still love those guys and think very highly of them. Um, that's a business called Red Maple Technologies, and we founded that together. And I think one of the things that I found was. Um, one of the things I learned it was you can agree to something and you can you can come up with a game plan and and agree on a on a course of action but that course of action that agreement doesn't necessarily stay static humans are dynamic beings right like and that's not just like in terms of physiology in in terms of in terms of what people want things change over time and that doesn't make anybody right or wrong is 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 just in, in my experience there is no right or wrong in this all right in in you know life life is full of grays the only times where right or wrong is really definite usually ends in a body bag right and so you know the 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 thing that i learned was just because you agree at one point doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be the same um, kind of going forever. Um, the second thing that I really learned in that job was there is a difference between being a founder and, a, and an equity shareholder and being a CEO. And that was an important lesson, right? That was that that was one that I didn't get right and and kind of came at it wrong. And I think I made my very good friends and, and former business partners uh, a bit angsty um, because of the way I was kind of approaching it. And so, you know, I think it's a, it, was a, it was a hard lesson to learn. Um, it was one that I had to take on board. Um, and I'm really lucky to still call these guys friends. Um, the, you know, that was the strength of their their love and devotion to me as a human that allowed us, and, and me to them, by the way, that allowed us to kind of come out the other side of that when when they very easily could have said, Steve, you're being a bit of a, I'll, I won't use the phrase, bit of a jerk um, sometimes. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've taken that kind of lesson on board and, I, and I've made sure that, um, you know, I, th I think being a leader, it's, it's, it's a constant episode in learning, isn't it? If you're not learning something every day and doing something with that, then you're not getting better as a human and, and certainly not as a leader. So yeah, I've taken that on board. Awesome, Steve. And what would you say is the biggest conflict between starting as a founder, then progressing into a CEO role? Well, I think there's a there's a mindset shift mindset shift between those two things, right? And that mindset shift is the is the hard is the hard thing because it's a it's a mental thing, right? And and in my experience, the mental things are always the the hardest things to achieve. So uh, as a as a um, a founder and as a an equity shareholder, you, you know, in the in the eyes of kind of 
the the kind of best practice in terms of governance, you're nothing other than an asset owner, right? You you own a piece of something, and that something happens to be a business, right? Um, and but being a CEO is about executive decision making. It's about setting the context for other people's success. It's it's about um, setting the conditions for the organization's growth as a, as an organization. It's about establishing and and kind of cultivating culture, not being culture, right? And and there there are you know being an, being a, a CEO is a it's an executive function. It's got very little to do with owning an asset, right? Those are two different things. And I think at the beginning, I was certainly approaching it as oh, this is the same thing, right? I, I'm a I'm a founder, therefore I'm a CEO. Well, hmm, hmm. <laughs> are you right? Like there's there's a there's a mindset shift that goes into that, and and I, I think that that's a that's an important kind of distinction to be able to draw. A word about our sponsors. As a founder, cybersecurity isn't top of your priorities. Yet Alliance has identified cyber threats as one of the top three risks facing business globally. This is where Nova Blue comes in. Its founder, Steve Mason, was technical director with GCHQ. He was in charge of keeping the nation safe from cyber threats. He set up Nova Blue to help keep businesses safe. Nova Blue are offering founded and grounded listeners a free cybersecurity health check. Simply go to nova-blue.co.uk forward slash podcast offer. Tallymarket make it easy for businesses to find and instantly book flexible workspaces. Through their simple platform, you get access to thousands of desks, meeting rooms and private offices at the best co-working spaces in the UK and beyond. It's free to sign up to, and Tallymarket are also offering 20 free tokens, the equivalent of five-day passes, when you register and buy 100 tokens. Visit tallymarket.co.uk forward slash F and G for more information. Well, here's a first for this podcast series, because I don't think we've had anyone who's been working undercover, sort of secret service style type stuff that we can't find out too much about. But what a fascinating backstory um, he has and really interesting how it's led him to this point and setting up the business that uh, he has now. Can we begin by talking about values? Because this is something, if there was one word that I was going to pick out that runs through the conversation you had with Steve, is lots of it comes back to values. So it is really important. Um, And I think he describes them as being like the North Star, the compass. Many people know values are important, but perhaps not everyone has thought about theirs. They just know what they do (laughs) um, or what they make, but don't actually spend time at the start thinking about values. So Ollie, with your experience, tell us a bit more about um, the importance of really being clear about what they are and how you do it. I think when values are really embedded in everything that you do, it makes decision-making easy. Mm. And decision-making sometimes, you know, you can be paralyzed by trying to make decisions as a business owner. You've got so many decisions to make. So actually, if you've got your values really clear and it is acting as your North Star, then actually it makes working so much more easier because you can get to decisions a lot quicker um, Mm. and know that you've made the right decision based on 
your underlying values. And I think actually, if you're clear on these values, like, you know, I'm sure everybody's watched the Simon Sinek talk, um, start with why. Um, And that's really talking about people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. And I think because Steve's very clear on those values, he attracts clients who also share similar values, right? So actually, it attracts new clients it works as marketing but it's so much more than that it runs through the company it helps with hiring um you could do Mm. appraisals based on your company values so it really is embedded into his organization i would encourage all startup founders to really define their values have you know don't have too many have kind of three four five core values but understand what they mean more than words. They're actions. They are things that you don't have to think about that you know um, inherently that are really focused on the organisation. I think sometimes as I reflect on this now, and I'm sure this will be a penny drop moment because not everyone has heard of um, Simon Sinek and, and his whole TED talk and book and everything, but it can lead to vulnerability, can't it? You know, and as we saw and heard when Steve was talking about his values. So the number one was challenging the status quo. So that is about putting yourself out there where no one else might be perhaps, and also getting in the ring. So all that matters is trying and not being scared of failure. And that really is permission to keep moving out of your um, comfort zone. And it can be a bit daunting, but it makes for such a stronger connection to your customers and clients. It does. And it's quite a an unnerving process, actually, trying to define what your values yeah. are and uncovering what they are. Because you might think, oh, I know what my values are. And you kind of write them down on a bit of paper. But when you dig a bit deeper under the surface, actually, some might be more personal than others. And actually, the process of discovering your values is quite a journey. And as you say, you've got to really put yourself out there and be vulnerable in order to discover your true values. But once you do, they are so, so powerful, Mm. as Steve explains. And there are all sorts of ways of figuring this out, you know, and people can spend either lots and lots of money doing it (laughs) and bring someone in, or you can sit down and think about it with a piece of paper for yourself. Um, I'm just trying to find someone who I saw at a festival back in the summer and she was a happiness coach. And um, so she had a completely different way of looking at what your values are and and the things that are important to you. Um, And she goes into companies helping them figure this out. But she would really, yeah, it just made me reflect. There are lots of different ways of thinking about how you do it. Some things are a bit more spiritual and very deeply personal. Others are more yes, perhaps a little bit more pragmatic in a sense of sitting down with your piece of paper and doing it in a different way. But it can be really enjoyable thinking of, yeah, your your highest vision and your sort of biggest mission that should be a little bit scary. But I know they're slightly different things. But um, yeah, don't be afraid to experiment and have a little look out there and see different ways of coming up with this kind of stuff if you, if resources and time allow, is what I would say. And I think it's more than just, you know, printing them out and having them on the wall of, you know, these are our company values that sounds very corporate and not startup like. And I think Mm. what it really means is how do people act when you're not looking? That is the the values of the company um, in essence. And we can see behind the scenes more with social media. And that is actually a lot of what people like, isn't it? They want to see the person who's making whatever it is. You know, they want to get to know them. And then you make that connection with that person. Um, 
tied to this, so keeping on the values theme, but Steve also said, you know, that was really crucial in dealing with knockbacks. So picking yourself up, keeping talking about your values, so why you're doing it, but crucially the added bit of finding your tribe. So not being afraid of some people. He said, you know, he'd put stuff out there and it wasn't really landing. You've got to find your people to talk to about it. Um, And that can be tricky, but it also just requires you keeping on showing up, doesn't it? It does. And there's going to, you know, you get a lot of rejection being a startup founder and you've got to be able to deal with the nose. And actually, the more you hear, the easier it obviously gets like anything in life. Mm. But I think if you've done this discovery process of understanding what your values are, then it tracks the the right people um, to you as it's done with Steve. And Mm. also it's it's a short circuit for actually knowing who you want to work with. So if you're actually being very vocal about what they are, then it short circuits finding the wrong people and not connecting and doing business because you don't have to go through that initial discovery process because they already know what your values are. You've kind of short circuited that. And I think that's really important. Yeah, saves everyone time in the long run. And of course, if you haven't already, step away from the notion that you might be able to serve everyone, that everyone is your potential customer. It's just impossible to write anything of any meaning if if that is what you're thinking, in my humble opinion. Yeah, if you try and sell to everyone, you sell to no one, Laura. Yes, I believe we will come on to sales, actually, in the next section of the conversation, won't we? Um, I just want to pick up on, there are two other speedy points I want to mention here from the first part of the conversation. One is around investors. And I thought it was really, I'm sure our listeners will have their own thoughts on this, but about trying to find investors, people who will support your company and whether they will buy into the value or whether they're simply looking for, is this going to make me a good return? Um, yeah, what do you think, Ollie? I, I imagine you have a bit more experience here than I do, certainly around companies attracting investors. What do you think? I mean, ultimately, investors are obviously looking for a financial return on their capital. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they're only looking at, say, maybe two of 10 investments to make that exponential growth and um, have a kind of 30x return on their investment. Um, so probably, you know, three to four will probably absolutely fall flat on its face. A couple might return the money, but it's those kind of two two out of 10 that are going to provide that exponential growth for them and that return on their capital. But I think every investor is very clear on their thesis, so what they invest in. Mm. So is it talking about sustainability? Is it talking about mental health? What is their what is their focus for their investments? And they normally have that predefined. Mm. Um, but I think, you know, ultimately they want to believe in the founder's vision for the future. So how does that founder see a problem in the world and how do they want to solve it? And I think if they're mm. buying into that vision, then values are going to make up a huge part of that. Mm. So there we are, Steve, because I know you are interested to see whether anyone would disagree with you. But I think it is, yeah, is an interesting question around investors for sure. Um, Okay, one other point before we move on to the next one. This is about the founder-CEO distinction. And I'm in it at a different end. So I know lots of people who've not long been in business, maybe one or two years, and they're just thinking, how am I describing myself? Someone wants to run this piece on me. Am I a founder? Am I the CEO? (laughs) What actually am I? So I think it's helpful to be clear about what the different terms are and 
Yes, interesting, especially as you grow bigger, as Steve found, when there's a very clear CEO role and how that is different from the founder um, investor. Yeah. Tell us more, Ollie. Yeah, I think when you're an early stage business owner, which most people refer to now as obviously being a founder, then obviously your role is to basically prove product market fit. So that's Mm. essentially how your business serves the market and generates reoccurring revenue um, and obviously gets that initial traction, right? But then as the traction grows and the growth expands, then obviously you're going to start hiring more people. You're going to be having to have lots of processes in place. Um, Your time is probably no longer going to be spent on generating sales so much. It's about maybe about managing the team and growing mm. out the the values and the organization um, and your role is going to really transition from being the founder into more of a kind of managing director slash CEO role and sometimes founders don't make good CEOs and I think that's when a company grows so much and actually the strengths of the founder are no longer the strengths of actually being a CEO and you mm. know you hear about classic cases with like Steve Jobs being ousted from Apple and other other examples yeah. of that that are, are very frequent and it's an important point and I think Steve makes a really important distinction between the the two roles that are quite separate Mm. Well, talking sales, talking about learning lessons, uh, should we go on to the conversation about challenges? Um, because we, well, we find we learn loads when when our guests are kind enough to share things that haven't gone to plan. So let's hear about Steve's favourite failure. I learned very early on uh, that you can have a great idea you can execute on that idea really well and pull together something that's really valuable and meaningful. Uh, But if you can't sell it, you're not going to live and you're not going to survive. And so, you know, one of the the things I I often say is I have a newfound respect for people in the sales industry, sales and business development, because it's hard. It's, it's, It's really hard to get noticed. It's really hard to, to, to find a way of resonating with people, with, with people who are potential clients, right? It's, it's not easy at all. And like, you know, I'm a guy that used to keep the UK safe from cyber threats. Right. And so I like to think that I've got a bit of experience and knowledge about this, but that doesn't matter for anything. If nobody knows that, Right. We've 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 pulled together like some incredibly robust kind of value offerings to to the clients. But if if the world doesn't know about it, then they're not going to you're not going to succeed. And so I learned very early on and and probably one of our biggest failures, I, I kind of went into this just thinking, oh, well, you know, I used to be the technical director for blah, 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 don't you know? And and like industry just doesn't care, right? Like they're just like, yeah, no, don't care. Don't care. I don't even know who you are. Don't trust yeah. you. Don't, like, so, you know, it, it, that, that was a hard lesson to learn. And, and like speaking very candidly, that almost sunk Nova Blue at, in the beginning, right? Wow. It almost, it almost kind of took us, took us to nothing. Right. Um, and I almost had to go and, I mean, it's a bootstrap business, right? So I almost had to go and get a job, right? Go back to working for somebody else, making their lives miserable. <laughs> Uh, good stuff, Steve. And who do you call when things aren't going to plan? Uh, well, the first person I sp- speak to is my incredible wife, Kelly. 
Um, she is my rock. She's my sounding board. She's my, uh, and the best, the best thing is like, there's, <laughs> there's times where she'd be like, Oh yeah, I know you're right on this. And then there's times where she's like, no, no, you're, 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 uh, you're being weak right now. Game time. Like get your game face on. Like that's enough of this. Right. So she, she, she knows when to do the tough love thing and she knows when to do the, the supportive thing. Um, and it's a, it's a role that we play for each other actually, because she has her own business as well. Um, which is staggeringly successful and, and she's doing very well at, um, comes with its own challenges though. Any business will always come with its own challenges. Um, so she's the first, I think the second would be my, um, so about seven months ago, eight months ago, I brought in, um, a business partner, a guy named Les Wong. I've known Les, I mean, he and I started at CSE together. He's in Canada. He's in Calgary, which, you know, an eight hour time difference does come with its own challenges when, when it comes to, um, a business, but he's come in as Nova Blue's chief operating officer and, I mean, that instantly was a was a huge benefit for the organization, not least of which because Les is a lot better at that side of um, things than I am. And so, um, you know, he's he's come in and, and uh, has helped on that. But he's also a really level headed sounding board um, when it comes to just just some thinking, just, you know, just shooting ideas off of each other. Like, what do you think about this? Or am I like one of my favorite things to do is, uh, again, I learned very early on that leadership one of the key um, kind of characteristics of leadership is self-reflection. And so one of the things I find myself doing quite a lot with both Kelly and Les is saying, am I wrong on this? Like, have I, am I coming at this from the wrong perspective? Do I, am I emotionally responding to this when I should be rationally responding to this? And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that emotion has no place in business, it absolutely does. Um, but sometimes you want to follow your intuition and your emotions. Sometimes you want to follow the data, right? And there are times, and you know, being a good CEO is about knowing when <laughs> when you're in, in each of those times. And it's not always easy to kind of see that when you're in the middle of the whatever it is. And so very often I'll find myself saying, Am I wrong? Right? Am I have I am I coming at this the wrong way? And I, and I'm looking for I don't I don't want I don't want kind of patting on the back I don't want I don't want people agreeing with me I I want to know am I <laughs> am I wrong because if I'm wrong I need to correct and change course right um or or not if you know or not it depends on the strength of your conviction and if you really think that you're right on something. Love it, Steve. Some great advice there on self-reflection for other founders as well to call on people that they can trust and actually give them some guidance as well, which is really important. So, Ollie, let's talk about sales then. Um, this is something, this bit of the conversation really strikes a chord with me. And I think I'm perhaps have been similar to Steve and, and still am sometimes, but this idea of, right, well, I've got this much experience, these qualifications, therefore I can do it. And then suddenly realizing, or not suddenly, but really realizing, <laughs> profoundly realizing that, oh gosh, it means nothing if no one knows. And if you can't sell yourself and if you can't promote it and put it in a neat package that people can see as an answer to their problem. Um, yeah, this that bit is huge isn't it? Um, any tips or advice that you can share? Because it really is the other half of the job. 
It is. And I'd say more than other half, to yeah. be honest with you. I think that, you know, you can be, as you say, completely credible, have all the experience under the sun. But ultimately, mm. if you can't find and connect and convert leads into sales, yeah. then you're not going to have a business. If you can't sell, then you're ultimately you're going to go out of business. So sales is such an important part, particularly of being an early stage business owner. In terms of tips for kind of mitigating some of that fear, mm. I think what I encourage people to do is actually kind of take a step back and think about the the problems that you're helping your clients to solve, right? Um, you're actually adding so much value. You're not selling to them. You're actually giving them an opportunity to really solve their problem. Mm. And I think if you, you kind of flip it like that in terms of a mindset shift, it's about building relationships. It's not about making sales. And, you know, you not, might not make the sale on the, the first conversation, right? So it's about moving yeah. the needle and moving people along that customer journey to a point where they've got the the like and the trust factors and they really believe what you do and they share similar values, then they're going to convert for sales. So it's not about trying to hurry people along and trying to, you know, turn them into a, a conveyor belt of converting them into sales within sort of a couple of weeks. It's about building those relationships. And sometimes that takes time. And as long mm. as you're clear on that, then I think you're going to be better at doing sales. And then the other thing I'd add is, how would you feel if a prospect customer went to one of your competitors and you know that they're not as good at doing a job at, as you are? Oh, this how is a good that, question. What how are you would feeling that make as Ollie feel? says this to you? Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so they're not going to do as good a job as you can do. Um, and, you know, how, how does that make you feel? Well, I hate that feeling. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> I right? feel like you're landing it at my door. Yes, it's a really... Well, it's an uncomfortable feeling. It's disappointment in myself. That's what that makes me feel. Okay, so then what comes next? You have to rally yourself <laughs> and get yourself out there. You do. And, you know, a lot of sales are done on the kind of fourth, fifth, sixth. I yeah. think the sixth approach is normally the one where people convert. So it's about yeah. being persistent but not in a pushy way as I say building relationships you know maybe looking at their social media and referencing a blog that they wrote or a social media post that they did and actually being a bit more personalized in terms of selling and actually not taking that blanket approach to this is just another lead that I'm pursuing though no, mm. this is a person with motivations and fears and objections and you know things that you're actually going to be able to solve and actually being a bit more clever in terms of your outreach is when you get results you know Ollie I had a moment like a flashback a friend of mine used to sell yellow pages and just imagine you're probably too young but if we were back in the day of yellow pages and your business was yellow just pages. listed your business was just listed <laughs> there and you may have a website but that was as much as you had to do now it's like you've got to populate your LinkedIn beautifully and frequently you may have to do a newsletter you know you've got to go where your audience is but it is just such another huge side of the job and you're right when I said oh it's the other half of the job you're right actually it's probably more it's probably more than that but that has been one of the biggest learning curves for me um with any business I've done is that what is required for that part of it especially when you're starting from scratch it's just huge it's the biggest part and it's really difficult when you're not seeing a return it is and I'd say even even more than 50% I normally say if I'm I'm doing coaching I'm probably doing 10% coaching 90% sales 
Wow. And that's the reality of it. And I think you should be looking at either 80-20, 90-10. That should be the split in terms of sales, unless you've obviously got a sales team. Mm. Which really affects the price at which you've got to put stuff. I mean, I know this is a tangent, but when you start factoring in what is really required to get that, it also um, affects your price point, obviously. And I know this is a different conversation, but it is such an important <laughs> factor to take on board. Um, so I'm glad that Steve, you know, raised it as one of those things that he had to learn about. Yeah, the sales side of things. Um, can we mention briefly sounding boards? So Steve mentioned, uh, first of all, his wife as a brilliant sounding board. Um, but it does, yeah, it does just raise that whole, it, it's a frequent theme on this podcast, having people that you value and trust. And people are divided. Not everyone wants to go to their partner or thinks that they necessarily know what might be useful as an answer to your business question. But um, Ollie, do you have some good sounding boards when, when it comes to business? Yeah, like Steve, my wife is a, a wonderful sounding board. I think that she just takes a, a fresh perspective on it. Yeah. So I can, she can basically cut out the emotional side of it and just look at the logic, the data yes. and say, well, this is how you should make a decision. Whereas I'm quite intuitive. Uh, I'd say quite high emotional intelligence, that kind of it. And actually sometimes you need a different skill set to say, right, no, this is a different way of looking at it. Mm. And actually sometimes there's going to be some middle ground to how you come to that decision. So yeah, my wife also got a very good friend who helps as a sounding board as well. Mm. And I think um, it, it just keeps you sane and also improves decision making. And it helps you take a step back yeah. From the business and see it in a different light. Yeah. Um, in addition, I've got my partner and I've also got a friend and we swim every Sunday morning and we are each other's sounding board. And we reflected on this as we were plodding up and down the swimming pool together the other day because we've known each other for ages um, through work. And it just adds something, having that length of time of knowing someone, someone who knows me personally and in terms of work is so valuable and so really, we both said how fortunate we felt to have someone who knew us really well and for a long length of time, because you just know what a person's like to the core and you can understand better where they might be coming from when they're trying to just mull things over. And I wouldn't say we've always got the answers for each other, not at all, but but we know and care about that person deeply and we'll really try hard to sort of help ask the right questions, maybe. Um, so I hope everyone has one or two people like this. Yeah. And I think sometimes it's not even about coming up with the the, the answers or the solutions. It's just being that person who's going to listen. Yeah. So you can download um, it. Just getting, yes. it off, getting it off your chest, right? Yeah. So yeah, I think Gosh, that's vitally yes. important. And I think, yeah, if you haven't got somebody and you are a business owner, then I would highly encourage you to go out and find somebody who can act as your sounding board. Yeah. And you can be theirs too. Um, okay. Let's move on to the final part of our conversation then with Steve from Nova Blue. Um, Nosey as ever, wanting him to gaze into his crystal ball and look forwards, fast forwards in time to what the next five years or so are going to be like. So we're looking to continue to, to kind of build on the success that we've had so far. And, and uh, you know, as with anything, it's not been a rocket ship, although I think over the past few months, things have 
we've we've hit a bit of an inflection point and that's good it comes with its own challenges because then you have a growth challenge and and culture and you know these things that are vastly important to get right as well um so uh i think it's to continue the the future holds the, the, to continue to build on the success that we've had so far um it's to continue to um invest in the business uh, and so, you know, I've I've taken very little out of the business, as little as I possibly can, to keep the lights on in the house that's about forty feet behind me, um, and and keep going right, and to to keep providing for the family, um, while at the same time keeping as much as we possibly can in the business because we believe in what we've got built, right? We believe in, that there's something here, uh, and it's just a matter of of continuing to kind of build on that growth and and um, get it into newer channels. Um, in terms of geography, we'll, we're we're looking to kind of stay where we are. Um, so right now we've got an office in, well, obviously here in the UK. Uh, my colleague Les is in Calgary in Canada. So um, we've got kind of two offices and we do have a registered entity in Canada. We will probably um, hire some people, probably not set up an office, but hire some people in Australia. And there's a rationale, which is one of the things that we provide is um, kind of security operations, uh, and we want to be able to offer a 24-hour service, but we don't necessarily want to hire people for overnight shifts in the UK or something along those lines. So we're going to have a follow-the-clock strategy and bring people in. And in a world where everything is remote and in a post-COVID kind of world, you can do that. And so we'll look to kind of expand our kind of headcount, but kind of growing in, in on, on at least three different continents, which is a bit strange, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, it's to it's to uh, continue to live our values. Right. We, we believe in, you know, our, our vision is a better and safer digital world. And, and that vision is our North Star. It, it, it acts as our kind of guiding strength. So whatever happens, we will be marching towards that North Star. And so we'll be making decisions that are looking to, uh, to, to make society, the societies that we're in, better, both for the technology that we're using, but also safer. Um, you know, we the technology is an incredible force for good, but unfortunately, some of the digital citizens that are out there don't necessarily want to use that technology only for good. They want to use it for their own illegitimate and illegal kind of gains. And so we're, you know, we're committed to trying to to stop that and help organizations get to the point where that's not, it's something that they need to be concerned about, but not something that that is, a, you know, an existential threat to the success of whatever that organization is. And so, that will take shape in continuing to build on the technology that we've got, the the intellectual property that we've got, continuing to offer great service to our clients, continuing to be to be values driven uh, and growing and, and and building on those values and living those values day in day out. Now, uh, the next part of the show, there's an opportunity for you to ask our listeners a question, which you're probably familiar with, with obviously being a, a listener yourself. So, um, over to you. I guess the the question that I would ask is, uh, you know, I've I've spent a career in technology and cyber, um, and the the question that I would ask is, what do people think about uh, what cyber actually is? What what is, it, what is the, the 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 conception that people have of what this is? Because I think a lot of people, especially consumers, that they'll think it's just about what I type into WhatsApp or you know something along those lines. Um, the reality is, 
organizations and people, so much of what matters, those like it's 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 easy to boil it down to just assets. But like, you know, if you if you think about assets as nothing other than things that have some type of tangible or intangible value for an individual or organization or, you know, what have you, um, so much of our assets are digital and they're stored online or they're they're kept in some kind of digital repository. And so the question I've got is, what do people think about this? Right. Like what like. I have a, a, a blindered view because or I'm seeing everything through a lens because I've, I've lived cyber my entire career. I'd like to hear what, pe- what other people think about cybersecurity other than what they're hearing, what they're hearing on, uh, on, on BBC or, you know, or, or whatever. I, I just I want to hear what people really think about it. Love it, Steve. We'll get some answers for you on that on our socials. And now the next part is a, a key part of the Founded and Grounded show. And I'm going to put you on the spot, Steve. If you had to distill down just one piece of advice that you'd pass on to a fellow founder, what would that be? Don't be afraid to try and fail. Failure only becomes damaging if you don't learn from it, right? And so, you know, one of the things that that uh, I think is really important is just try different things. Give it enough time that you can get a, you know a, a, a proper read on if something is working or not. But try it, and if it, if it doesn't work, that's fine. Stop doing it and try something else, and just learn from it, and just continue to learn. Right? It's that it's that learning process that you will that I I think is the one of the most important characteristics of a business owner. And lastly, where can people find you online and in person? Uh, well, so in person, I live in Cheltenham. So I spent most of my career working at GCHQ. So GCHQ's just just over that way. Um, uh, so just just outside of Cheltenham in a little village called Norton. Um, we have uh, an office. Our registered office is in Cheltenham proper. Um, and uh, in terms of online, so we're at www.nova-blue.co.uk um, if you want to go to the website. Uh, but we're on LinkedIn as well. So if you just do a search for Nova Blue Technologies or Steve Mason, um, then you can find me. Steve, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Ollie. Okay, Ollie. So let's jump straight in with Steve's question around cybersecurity and understanding what that actually means. Um, Because that's quite a big question, isn't it? But bringing it back to our understanding and what it is we've done about it in terms of our businesses, I think this is the important bit, people, and perhaps time to be um, honest with ourselves about what any of us are doing to protect our online assets, our policies, our procedures, whatever it might be, people, all these things. It's a bit like insurance that you don't necessarily think about until something goes pear-shaped. Are you happy with just having um, McAfee or Norton antivirus update? Um, is that the full extent of it? Or are we doing anything else? Am I just speaking for myself here? Ollie, where are you at? I'm probably guilty as charged as most founders are in terms of probably not doing as much as I need to be doing. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, I've got basic things like, you know, antivirus, I've got a Mac, but still have antivirus. 
still have antivirus software, yep. um, you know, two-factor authentication, That's good. having a password manager, oh my goodness. all of that stuff. But, you know, I, 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 I think if I took up Steve's kind offer of the uh, MOT, then I would fail miserably. Because like you yes. say, it's not just about the, the technology aspect um, about cybersecurity. It's about the people, the culture, leadership and governance. Um, Steve went into a great conversation about this, having technology policies and procedures in place mm. asset and information management it's so much more than just the techie bit of it yes so i think that it does open up quite a lot for us to think about so whilst you're pondering on steve's question uh do have a think about your own business and what you're actually doing and maybe being honest where any gaps might be if if you sort of can think about that and have enough nous to to know where the gaps might be because sometimes there are things that you just don't know the unknown unknowns isn't it um steve will be all over those but yeah um it's a good chance to think about this and share with him where you might be lacking in information um and experience and also to consider the offer and the sort of deal that Nova Blue offers as well that MOT that you mentioned there, Ollie. Uh, might be a good idea to do that. I'm going to have to chat with Steve after the show about the health check that he kindly offers because, like you say, it's not one particular aspect of the business. It's not this siloed thing of cybersecurity. It's this whole strategic approach to all of those different areas and and how it ties in with values. And I think Steve really does have the answers on that. So um, I'll give listeners Mm. maybe an update in a couple of episodes time in terms of what's changed. I think you should. And I think maybe... um... If listening to this, you'd like to know a bit more, actually, you think, well, that's something I just don't know much about. It is a geeky, techie subject. And I, you know, like me, I work as a hypnotherapist. Um, Then tell us and maybe we can do a bonus episode. I'm sure we might be able to twist Steve's arm just to sort of introduce a few more things that we should perhaps all be thinking about. There might be something in that for definite. Um, Okay, our final point that we need to pick out from here is around the trying and failing. We're back to the not being afraid to go with the minimum thing you can start with and just give yourself the chance to learn how to do something and mistakes are all just part of that um, learning. But I think, Ollie, one day we'll go back through all the episodes and see the most often shared piece of advice. And this is what all the successful people know. They know you're going to have to make some mistakes along the way. So don't worry about it. And exactly. And that's what we're trying to do with the show is bring out those mistakes that early stage business owners are making and make it more commonly shared. So people realize that actually the success doesn't happen overnight. There's a lot of failure along that way. And when we're making that more normalized, then encouraging a conversation around it, then Mm. hopefully this is benefiting the listeners and people that want to start businesses of tomorrow. And maybe one time when we talk about this, we can bring in a little bit more around what goes on in your brain. But basically, you're stretching your brain. When you make mistakes, this is how you're strengthening your brain, helping it to grow. Literally, this is what goes on. Um, anyway, that's, that is more for another time. But I value that piece of advice so much and have applied it to myself to keep myself on track many times. Um, 
as we've just been talking about social and Steve's question there, should we go to our community lead? Let's have a word with Samantha and find out some of the things that you've been saying in response to our previous episode, uh, where our other featured entrepreneur also asked the question. So Sam, start off, remind us um, who we're hearing from and what they wanted to know. In our last episode, we spoke to Laura Beals and her co-founder Jules Robertson from Tally Market about their fantastic hybrid co-working solutions. So since COVID, hybrid working has become such a norm. So many workplaces have evolved and are using co-working spaces now. So Tally Market have provided a fantastic solution to this. And they told us all about their story of how the business started and the lessons they learned along the way. Laura had a fantastic question to share with you all. She asked, how many days per week do you go into the office? So this is a really interesting one, especially to compare it to what people were doing before COVID. Interestingly, even now, when life has gone back to semi-normality and a lot of us feel like things are starting to get back to how they used to be, still 40% of people voted that they have zero days in the office. That's 40% of people who are still working from home full time. 32% of you said that you could do one to two days in the office. 17% said three to four days. And only 10% of you said you did five or more days in the office. So it just goes to show that hybrid working or full working from home is still really high. And a lot of us are able to do our jobs from home or from other places. And this has opened up such an opportunity for co-working spaces as many of us loved working from home and the flexibility during COVID. But we also found that it was a little bit lonely. So actually having that balance is something I think a lot of us are looking for now. A few people shared their thoughts that they do sort of three days in the office and two at home or the other way around. But the challenge being that still with a lot of the team not being in the office, quite a few people still prefer to work from home. And it's that draw of having a team there that makes people want to go into the office on those days. Interestingly, a lot of you shared your thoughts on how important the hybrid model was and how much you enjoy having that flexibility. So the perks of working from home, but also being able to go in and having a hybrid model to go in and see people and socialise and have those spaces. But one of the things that came out in your comments was the importance of, of those spaces, of having the right kind of environment, the right kind of office to feel comfortable and supported and productive. So these kind of hybrid co-working model spaces are going to be really important to the future of work, providing that level of flexibility while also giving a chance to be sociable and also feel like you're in a warm, comforting, productive and supportive place to work. So really interesting to see how many of us are in that sort of hybrid model thinking and potentially see the future of work continuing to go this way. It'd be very interesting to see what the next few years bring to the home versus office versus hybrid working space. Thank you all for sharing your thoughts and uh, looking forward to hearing your thoughts on our next question from our very next guest. So Ollie, time to put you on the spot. Who's going to be our next guest? 
I'm so excited about our next guest, Laura, for a number of reasons. But one of the reasons is that his latest startup is solving a massive problem in the world of fast fashion and making it more sustainable. So uh, our next guest is somebody called Mark Dowds. He's a serial entrepreneur and super angel investor. And through his latest startup, Responsible, they are actually making streetwear more sustainable through the use of rotation and reuse of clothing. Brilliant. And absolutely a conversation that I see coming up increasingly. Um, So yeah, really looking forward to hearing what he's got to say. Um, That's it from us for today. Thank you so much for listening. Do get involved on social and share your thoughts. We love to hear from you. Um, So take care one and all, and we'll speak soon. Thank you for listening to Founded and Grounded with Ollie Collard and Laura Rawlings. If you've enjoyed this free podcast, we'd love you to recommend it to someone else. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts, regardless of where you get your podcasts from. And join our online community and share your comments with us. We're on LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram. It's always good to hear from you.